But first, I want to go back into, I want to give you a recap of last week. If you remember last week, I talked about how we were each created to sing a song, right? That that song was given to each of us uniquely and powerfully, you know, and that our song matters. And that that melody of our life needs to, if we're answering the question, what is my song? It needs to reflect Jesus' song. And that when he came, he opened up the kingdom of God, the kingdom of his father and said, this is what my father's kingdom looks like. I'm here to glorify him, and your song needs to fit into my song. Your song needs to glorify him, okay? And that his song, Jesus' song, looked like proclamation, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and demonstrating the, kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God, okay? But really, it's not about doing what other people do. It's not about doing what you think you should do. It's about God bringing you freedom, joy, and power to your life, authority in your life, and you listening to him, allowing him to direct you into the specific area of ministry that he's called you to be, okay? Uh, Cultivating in you a heart that is Christ, that sings and reflects his song. So that's that's the picture, okay? That's real simple stuff, really straightforward. Well, what I want to talk about this week is how, as a church, we are also like you as an individual, in the sense that God has given River City Church a specific call um, in terms of what he's made us to do. 11.40. Okay? And what he's called us to do. And every church, every church, there's, like, there's over 1,500 churches in Jacksonville. River City Church, we are called to do what any of those other churches are called to do. We are called to do something unique, something powerful, and that only sings like us, that reflects who we are. Okay? So we wanna, we're asking questions like, what does it look like for us to be a church who are we called to minister to, where are we supposed to be, you know, and how RCC is called to bring forth God's kingdom, specifically as a church, okay? Now then, and we, we only want to do what God's called River City Church to do, and that's my responsibility as a church, as a staff, and as a leader is to bring us all along on that journey, okay? Now then, this is the cool thing about it, is that our journey, who we're called to, what we're called to, where we're called to do it, is a direct result of your journey, okay? And so, River City Church, we're singing this melody of calling. You know, God's calling We're singing this melody that fits into Jesus' song, okay? But that's defined, our melody is defined by the song that you're singing, okay? So if we start small, let's just say me and 10 other people start singing the song that God's given us as a church. Well, we're reaching a certain group of people in a certain place, and how we're doing that looks one way. Let's say we blow up to 100 people. Now we have 100 different people singing the same song in terms of direction, but it's being flavored by all of our different melodies. And so what happens is RCC's melody is determined by your melody, which actually means that your melody becomes the harmony of RCC, the depth. The, the song that we're singing is reflected in your melody, which makes us the harmony, makes you the harmony, makes who we are as a church more beautiful, deeper, wider, longer, higher, all of those things. And so as a church then, we are just, we're all singing our songs. You're being empowered. You're being strengthened. You're being fed. You're being encouraging your gifts. And all of a sudden, River City Church, we start to reach out to new people. We start to bring a depth that we've never had before. We start to become strong in areas that we were weak. All as a result of you being faithful to sing your song. Okay? And in 1 Corinthians, we see this in 12, 27 to 30. It says this. And you've heard this before probably. Now you are a body of Christ and individually members of it, okay? So we're not 
a body of a blob. We're not like an amoeba. Where all of our identity is lost in the church. We're a body, but we're individuals in the body with unique callings, identities that make us unique from each other, but together powerfully singing the same song, okay? And so, again, like the difference between Christ and church in a cult is that in a cult is that everyone, it's like you lose your identity, give yourself, sacrifice yourself to the, to the cause, okay? And it's wrong. That, well, obviously, that's wrong because they don't follow Jesus. But a cult's wrong. But, but in River City, we don't want you to lose your identity and who Christ has created you to be. We want to empower who Christ has created you to be because empowering you to become who God's made you, we know as a body, we become strong, okay? Now then, it goes on in verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? No, no. We don't try to be and become something we're not. We are just called to be who God's called us to be individually. We are called to become individually who God's called us to be, empowered in that authority so that the church can become who she, the bride that she was created to be. Okay, and so it's really important that you guys get how valuable you are to the church and you get that you have a song. Regardless of how jacked up your past is or how much you screwed up or what's happening now, I mean, the reality is, is the song that God is singing in you is as powerful as the song that he sang with Moses, as the song that he sang with Paul, as the song that he sang with Eutychus. You don't know who he is, do you? He's the guy who fell out of the window and died when Paul was te- or Peter was teaching. He died. He fell out of the window. He fell asleep because Peter was obviously boring, not like me. He fell out of the window, literally, and he went and got healed. He was healed. That's Eutychus. Anyway, your story might not be in the Bible, but it is a powerful story. It is the most important story that God is telling because it is, it, it is reflective of his glory of who he is, and your song fits into River City Church's song, which fits into God's kingdom and his song. Does that make sense? Do you get that? That's important that you understand that. If you don't understand that, then we can stop here, okay? So you need to believe that, okay? And if you, have a, if you have a hard time believing that, you need to come forward for prayer ministry and allow God to remind you of that reality, okay? Now then, this is what happens. It's that the enemy, you're wondering, how in the heck is this going to fit into giving? Like this. Okay, so we're made to sing this song. Well, opposing the song that God is singing is, this, is the song of the enemy. And that Satan is singing a song of lies. A song of wanting you to, to believe and to follow idols. And for you to, to not sing the song that God's giving you to sing. Because when you don't sing the song God's giving you to sing, the church doesn't sing the song the church has been given to sing. And the enemy, the devil, opposes the kingdom of God the vehicle of which transformation comes through the church. Does that make sense? You with me? And so, and Jesus talks about this kingdom. He talks about Satan being this father and that his children, the father of this, of the children of this father, they only talk about lies, that they're unfamiliar with truth and that they're acting out of their character, their true character, because it's corrupt and he is the father of lies. In John, it says this, 844. You are and he's talking to Pharisees here when he's in the temple. He says, you are, of the fa- you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning 
and he has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he, li- when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, next week I'll talk about idols and how idols kind of get us off track a little bit. But today I want you, to, I want you to, to hear this, is that one of the struggles that we have in singing our songs, one of the things that the enemy uses to stop us from singing the truth and singing the song that God has given us to sing is he wants us to believe lies about ourselves, about God, about who he really is, that he can be trusted, and he wants us to believe lies about ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. And there's lots of them. There's lots of them. I only have time to get into a few of them because they directly relate to what we think about money and possessions and how we give, okay? In Psalm 40, it says this. I waited patiently for the love. I'm not going to sing it. I'm kidding. That was last week. That was last week. It says this, Psalm 40, 1 to 5, Psalm of David. This is David speaking. And he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry blog. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my, my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth a song of praise to our God. Many will see my song. Many will see my song and hear my song and they will fear the Lord and they'll see who he is and they will put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. More than anything, Satan does not want you to trust God. He doesn't want you to trust in his words and his promises and what he's done in your life. He wants you to believe lies about this truth. You see, David, what does David say? He goes, my desire is that they would see my life First, that I would come to this reality. You saved me. You pulled me up out of the pit. You've rescued me from destruction. You've placed my feet on a new rock. That rock is firm. It's grounded. It's safe. It's good. And as a result, I put my trust in you, God. That's David's first objective, is for us to know that his trust is in him. And then he says, and then look, people are going to see where my trust is. People are going to hear my song. And they're going to put their trust in God also. You see, God's desire is that we would trust him. Giving isn't about giving. It's about trust. It's about worship. And having our hearts transformed to the point where we trust God with all of our life. And when we choose not to give, what we're demonstrating is that we're choosing not to trust. And I'm going to kind of show you how this works. But the enemy wants us to trust in ourselves. The enemy wants us to feel afraid when it comes to our finances, to make decisions based on fear. Here's a lie that he wants you to believe, a truth that he wants you to think is a lie. This is James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above. Do you believe that? Do you believe that every good gift is from above? 
I don't think you do. I mean, you might say you do. I don't believe that. I don't think. Really, truly believe that. Because what I'm saying when I, when I say that is that I believe every good gift is from God. I believe everything I have is from God. Everything I have. Why well, I work really hard. I have a real disciplined heart. When people were playing, I was working hard in school. Well, God says, that's a good gift. I've given that to you. The discipline you have, I've given you. The good decisions you made, that came from me. Your good looks, that came from me. I have to confess that every day. Anyway, you know, the reality is everything good. Your children came from God. The house you have came from God. Your ability to be in college came from God. Your ability to eat today comes from God. Breathe from God. Your brain from God. Health from God. Your spouse from God. Everything that is good is what the scripture says. If you say you believe this, everything you have belongs to God. Everything you have, everything you are that is good has come from God. Everything. So who owns it then? God, right? So if you believe everything comes from God and everything belongs to God, the wrong question is how much am I going to give to you? Whoa, 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 wait. If everything is his already... That's not the right question. If everything belongs to God, the right question is, how much of your stuff, God, am I going to keep? Because it's yours. None of this is mine. If we really believe that verse, if we really believe that everything good comes from God, everything we have is God's, then we don't own anything. He owns everything. He's given it to us to be good stewards of, to steward. A steward is someone who gets something that belongs to someone else and manages it for them. We are all stewards. If you believe that, everything that you possess, all of your wealth, all of your ability, all of your talents, everything that you have, all of your resources, none of those things are actually yours. None of them. It doesn't matter how hard you've worked. It doesn't matter how hard. None of that matters. It all belongs to God. If you really believe that verse. Because if you don't believe that verse, then you definitely have a mentality of ownership. And if you own something, you do have the right to decide then where you spend it, don't you? But if you're stewarding it, you lose that privilege. Then you have to do what the owner wants you to do with what he's given you. Right? You don't like where this is going, I can tell. Oh, crap. This is not good. This is not good. I said no when you said that, Haley. I don't believe that. Uh, believe me, this is all, I mean, I, I've been reading and learning and listening to lots of stuff this week and watching videos on it. I'm like, I'm tired, Jesus. Just take me now. I don't want to make any more decisions. <laughs> you know? It's rough. I mean, this is rough, but this is the reality. But the enemy wants, to, wants us to believe that. That's not true. You've worked for this. You know, that's not true. That's not God's stuff. That's your stuff. You decide. Spend it on yourself. You don't have to give anything away. There's other people with more than you that will give it away. You barely have enough to get by. You don't have to give to other people. You don't have to do what my, you know, you don't have to do that. But that's what he wants us to believe. That everything is yours. That you own everything. The song that you're singing then is not a song that points to trusting in God like David's did. The song that you're singing points to you. 
the importance of your comfort, the importance of you being in control, you trusting in your own ability to provide and to save up instead of God. Either God is the rock that you stand on and you trust him with everything or he's not. The lie is that you can have both. Okay? And Jesus says this. These are Jesus' words. Here's lie number two. Lie number two, Satan does not want you to believe this. In 624, Matthew, Jesus says this. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. How many people believe that's true? How many people? Okay, I say I believe that's true. If you say that you believe that is true, then the reality is that you, everything in you, and everything that you have, you're able to trust God with. And the reflection of that is how you live life. Because either you're serving and worshiping money, or you're serving and worshiping God. And Jesus says, you can't do both. You can't do both. You can't store up for yourself, build something, build a nest egg with the understanding that your trust is being, you know, that you're, you know, that you're protecting yourself for the future, and at the same time say that you trust God. Does that mean, we're, I'm not saying we're not supposed to save, but if that's where your trust is, if that's a trust issue that you're having, then you're worshiping and you're serving your ability to protect yourself for the future or provide for yourself for the future instead of trusting and what God can do. Living a life that people are drawn to because your foundation is in Jesus, okay? But again, I want to say this. You know me. I mean, I'm in the boat with you on this one. I, you know, I struggle with this. I really struggle with this. I mean, I have kids that I want to feed and provide for, and I know that I'm supposed to. And the reality is, is that you know at River State Church, we don't believe that the more you give, the more God loves you. We believe the more you love God will result in you giving more, and, and the ultimate reality is that we don't want you to leave here today. I don't want you to leave here today thinking that, that you know, that God wants my money. God doesn't need your money. He has every, remember, everything belongs to him. God wants your heart. God wants you to trust him. He wants to be your foundation. It's like this. Here's an illustration to help explain my point of not serving two masters and believing that what is yours is really yours or is it really God's. Say I was driving home. This could happen very easily with Blake and Blake's best friend is Jack Harmon. We're driving home from a game. You see the game. Yesterday's game was amazing. I'll just say that. Blake and Jack had their first victory. Is that awesome? And the flag football team. They had their first win yesterday. They, have, they, they haven't won at all. Their team is horrific. And, and Jack's on defense and Blake's on offense. And they, just, they won. It was awesome that they won. So, what do you think I was thinking about? Talking about. You guys, man. Goodness gracious. Anyway, so we're driving home from the game. We get to the convenience store, and I take five of my dollars. I say, Blake, here's five of my dollars. Okay, I'm going to give it to you, and I want you to spend it this way. I want you to get something for yourself. Spend something on yourself. I want you to get something in the store. I want you to save a little bit so the next time we go, you'll have some money to buy something else for yourself or do whatever you want with it. So save some of it, and I want you to buy Jack something. I want you to give some away, okay? 
So Blake goes in the stories there. He comes out, man. He's got Fritos and Cheetos. And he's got chips. And he's got like a big gulp slushy thing. And he comes down. He's a big smile on his face. He's so excited. He's like, Dad, look, man. I'm so hungry. Look at this. You know, Jack's just kind of walking behind him. has nothing. Jack has nothing. And I go, Blake, man, what's going on? I was like, How'd you spend the, how did you spend my money? And he's like, well, I bought all this stuff for myself because I'm really hungry. I know that you want me to be fed. You want my belly to be full. I, and I got this, all this for me. And I saved 50 cents, Dad, for the next time we come shopping here. I got I get some gum with that. Okay, so you're not going to give me any, but I got 50 cents in saving. I said, well, what do, you, what do you get for Jack? He's like, well, I didn't get Jack anything. I didn't have enough money. I didn't have any left over. I didn't have any left over. And I would, I would say, Blake, that's like stealing from me. That was my money. I told you to spend it these ways, and you disobeyed me. You stole my money. You stole the money I gave you to give to Jack. That's stealing from me. When you choose to not give what God's given you, remember, if everything's God's, right? You said you believe everything's God's. He's given you. He's given you money and resources and time to use in three ways. He wants you to save some of it. He wants, he wants you to spend it. He loves to bless you with it. And he wants you to give some away. When you don't give any away, you steal from God. When you choose not to give what he's entrusted you with, that's his, away, you're stealing from God. That's the reality of it. There's no way to sugarcoat it. There's no other way to say it. That is the black and white of what Jesus says when he talks about serving two masters and, and being an owner or a steward. If you believe that you're a steward of God's money, then it's so important that you understand the importance of being obedient to how you spend it. Because if we're disobedient, it wouldn't make sense that God would continue to give us in that area, would it? So the next time we go to the store, Blake goes, Dad, give me five bucks. I'm going to go in the store. I'm with Jack. I'm like, I-, I can't trust you. The last time I gave you and I trusted you with this money, you chose not to be obedient to me. I got to go in the flipping store with you. So I had to go in the store and I have to show you everything. I'm not going to trust you with anything. And if I want to give money away now, I'm not going to give it to you to give away. I'm going to have to find someone else to give it away. And so we are in the financial situation we're in, many of us, because we've been disobedient with what God's given us and trusted us with. And we keep coming back to him saying, well, why don't you give me more? Why don't you give me more? Because you're flipping, spinning it on yourself and you're saving it up because you don't trust me. Right? That's the reality of our situation. And we wonder why we continue to struggle personally in this area of our life. I mean... That's the black and white of it. These are the words of Jesus. This is the reality. Does that mean that he doesn't love us because we're screwing up? No. But he's not going to continue to trust us either in that area that we continue to steal from him in. You know, and just so that you know, I know, I mean, I know you guys. I know you're, a lot of us, I mean, a lot of you are students and you're thinking, I got, no, I got nothing to give. You know, I just don't have anything to contribute here because I'm on a student. I'm on, I have student loans and I'm living really tight. You know, I got a car payment or whatever. And there's some of you, you know, when it comes to me teaching every Sunday, just know this. It, you guys are a mess when it comes to me trying to figure out what I'm supposed to say. Because we have people in here today that have lost everything. 
I mean, they lost everything. They're in the program. They're working, working out how God is going to kind of write their life, and they're trying to be obedient with all these areas of their life to get into a place where they can give again. Well, they, they don't have anything, though. And then we have people that are just trying to get enough money to, pay, you know, to buy their kids' clothes and who are just have barely enough money to make their rent every week. Single moms, single dads, people who one of the spouses just lost their income, and, and they don't know. They don't know where the next paycheck is going to come from, or they don't know how they're going to put food on their table at night. So we have those people. And then we have people that are like college students that accidentally waste money. They don't mean to, but they do. You know, and they, they, they struggle with having enough on a regular basis because they're a full-time student, but they're also working a part-time job, and they have to travel, and gas prices go up, and all that affects how you give as students. I know that. That's a reality. And there's a mentality of, well, if I, once I get through college, then I'll give because then I'll be making the big bucks, you know? And then I'll give. And then, and, and then I know there's people who gave a lot or have given a lot in the past and the economy changed and you lost your job and you're like, I can't give the same. Which is, all of those are real situations. And there are some other people in the church that you could give 20% off the top and not even feel it. 50% off the top and not even know. Your lifestyle wouldn't change at all. And so we have, those are the extremes that we're dealing with at River City Church, which is awesome. It's awesome. But, but, but in that reality, our question still is, for each of us in those groups, I want to sing God's song. I want to I give in a way that demonstrates that he's my, he's my rock. He's my foundation. I trust in him, whether we're at one extreme or the other. That's our goal, that God would change our hearts, that we have generous hearts that want to give. But the truth is the truth. Regardless of our situation, we're called to give, to have hearts that are generous. And that's our goal. Our goal at River City is for everyone to get to play. Everyone gets to give. Regardless of your situation in life, you get to give. That's, we believe that's the promise of Scripture. As you seek him, you'll find him. You'll have opportunity. And as I was thinking about our church, I thought my, my heart broke for the people in our body that want to give but feel like they can't. Because what happens then is you alienate yourselves. You feel like you're part of the burden. I come, I'm like a freeloader. I don't give anything because I can't, because I don't feel like I can. And what happens then is you disengage from us as your family. And that just breaks my heart to think that you would feel that way. So I was praying in bed. I was like, Lord, how can we create an opportunity at River City Church that people could give in a way that's sacrificial, in a way that is cheerful, and in a way that's regular, that wouldn't affect their cash flow? Wouldn't it? wouldn't affect the real circumstances of their life, the real needs where their money's going now. How could we give in that way? And I read this, I was watching this video, and I read chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, and it talks about this church that's really poor, really poor church. And Paul goes on to talk about how they gave this abundant blessing, this abundant, out of their poorness, they were still able to give. And they gave cheerfully, they gave sacrificially, and they gave consistently or regularly, which is the way I think we're supposed to give. And I started praying about, I was praying about, I was like, Lord, what? I mean, that looks like a no-win situation. That, that's like a no-win scenario. How could I possibly give and it not affect my cash flow? I, I mean, that doesn't make sense. I got the way. God spoke to me about this. He said, I was laying in bed and he said, I was, I was serious, I was praying about this. But my heart was really troubled about it. And he said, eBay. That's it. So what are, you, what are you talking about, God? That does not sound like a good idea to me. 
I'm going to put the church up on the market, eBay market. All right. He said eBay. He said eBay is fun. It's cheerful. It's fun to do. It causes people to go through their house and sac- sacrifice things they're either not using that they think they're, or they sacrifice things that they are using that they don't want anymore. And then it allows them to do it regularly. You can keep doing it. And when you sell it, you give it to the church. So we all have stuff, don't we, that we could go around and find and we could sell it on eBay and give the money to the church. Then everyone gets to play. I tell that story. I can tell you. Some of you are like, I'm like, that's not going to work, Antley. I was talking to a girl came up after I gave this talk, first hour, right when we started worship. She said, I, moved, I had to move out of my apartment. It was like a couple thousand dollars. I didn't have the first month, last month's rent. I didn't have anything for the deposit. I didn't have anything to move. I had nothing. And, and I had no money. And I had to, God humbled me, and I had to go to somebody, a friend of mine. I borrowed the money. And after borrowing it, I moved into my apartment. And in the move, God spoke to me, and I started selling things on eBay. And within three weeks, I had sold, I had sold enough money to pay these people back. She says, I just want you to know, and I think that this is right on. I think this is something that everyone can do. This is something that's fun. I mean, it is fun to sell stuff on eBay, and it's a way that you can participate. And it doesn't affect your cash flow, does it? Because you're not spending that right now. It's just sitting there. All you have to do is make the sacrifice to give it away. And then when you sell it, give it to the kingdom of God for his kingdom, for his purposes. You know, next week I'm going to be talking about God's storehouse, God's kingdom, where are we supposed to give our money, are we supposed to tithe, real practical things. The Bible teaches about those things. But we believe, man, the kingdom of God is what we're about at River City Church. Obviously, you know, we would benefit and we need you to contribute to the mission that God's and the song that God's singing here. And part of that needs to include you giving financially to River City Church. And this is a way that you can do it. This is a way that if you're already giving, you can give more. I'm asking us to do this as a team, as a church, with the understanding that God has purposed us all to be givers. God has created in us a desire to give. And he wants it to be cheerful. He wants it to be sacrificial. And he wants it to be consistent. And this is a way that if you're one of those people thinking, I just don't have the money. I don't have the cash flow. Well, this doesn't affect any of that. If you don't need the money or you do have the cash flow, then take a big risk and just put, like, shipping price zero. You pay for it, and then you give all that. I mean, I mean, if you have zero shipping price on eBay, that'll, like, antennas go up, doesn't it? Like, you'll buy stuff you, like, you know you didn't need. But we have stuff at the church. We're giving, we have two cars that have been donated we're going to sell on eBay. You know, we have, I might sell one of the staff people that's attractive, you know? I mean, no. Of course, I won't do that. But, you know, we're going to, but as a church, we want to do this. I want us to do this. I feel like God's calling us to do this. That's a strong, I mean, how many churches, the pastor seems to say, we're supposed to sell our stuff on eBay? I'm just saying. I was praying about it. That's what came to mind. I think we can all do it. We've, we've talked to somebody who's going to help us do it for a month. Next week, we're going to have a system where if you don't have time to sell it, which I think is a lie, but if you don't, if you, if that's, you know, if you don't want to sell on eBay, but you have stuff that you want to sell, you don't know how to, you contact the church office. This person will come over, take pictures of it. We'll sell it for you. We already have a PayPal account you can transfer money into. We'll get the money. We'll write you a check and give you the tax break. So you can still write it off. Whatever you sell. I mean, last year I sold like $1,000 worth of stuff. 
Okay, we, and I just spent it all myself. I bought a little bass pedal. I sold a kayak for 700 bucks. Bought a little bass pedal. Bought some golf stuff. I just bought stuff for me because I'm comfortable. I like, I'm greedy. You know, but now I'm like looking around and stuff. I was like, crud. Everything I sell now, I got to give to the church. But I'm like excited about it. My kids are excited about it. And this could be really fun. This is a way for your whole family to get involved. So let's stand.